Hi, everybody. I'm Mark Sheeran. I'm Michelle Dunbar. And we wrote, co-wrote, The Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap. And uh, we've been coaching people how to solve their addiction now for 34 years. We created the coaching model uh, for the addiction space 34 years ago. And, yeah, we uh, didn't call it that, but yeah, it is what we've always done. Yeah. So, so we want to talk a little bit about uh, what we're doing. Um, about a year ago, we started doing workshops for people and uh, two-day workshops where we deconstruct their binge construct. Essentially, we show people why they do what they do. And that's Michelle and I working with them. And uh, like one person at a time, because it has to be personalized for that person. That's right. So, so they spend two days with us and then they also get support sessions after they go back home. And then also we give uh, support sessions all the way out for one full year if they need it. Not everybody needs that, but, uh, but that's what we do. So, so we started this like a year ago. And all of a sudden I said to Michelle, geez, we're, we're booking up now pretty quick. And so we just got on the computer and we set up all the dates, um, which we're going to make live here soon, uh, for this year. And I said, we better do a commercial and let people know that, uh, we're available because, because we want to work with you. Yeah. Yeah. I was coached in the early years by her father and then I coached Michelle. Yep. And, and so we've been doing this a long time and we want to help you. You know, some people can learn with the book. Some people can learn with our online program and all the various things that we do. But ultimately, there's a whole group of people that are in pretty deep and they're mystified as to why they're doing what they're doing and they're struggling. And it's needless because we can show you how to get past this for good. No meetings, no endless mat regimens, no recovery, no struggle. Yeah, we will be your personal coach coaches. Yeah. And we want to work with you. So you look on the website. If you see a date that works for you, book it because they're going to go quickly. But if you don't see a date that, that works for you, then call us and we will figure out a date that works for both of us mutually. And we can make a plan. And as soon as you book it, you will become an online program member as well. You get that membership for an entire year and you can start that right away as yeah. soon as you book it. So um, if you want to call us, it's in the, and you're watching, it's in the top corner, 888-424-2626. That comes directly to Mark and I, and and we will talk about when, when you can fly in and meet with us. Yeah, we look forward to it. We All do. Right. Take care, everybody. Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Enjoy listening and watching as addiction experts Mark Sheeran and I cover controversial as well as helpful topics on addiction, how to move past it, and other related subjects. As two of the co-founders of the Freedom Model, Mark and I will give you a completely new perspective on the topics that matter to you. We will take to task the Recovery Society's lies and misinformation and replace them with facts, research, and the methods to move on from addiction struggles without 12-step meetings, rehabs, and the shackles of endless recovery. Let's escape the treatment and recovery trap together and learn to be free. Welcome to the truth. Hey, everybody. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Addiction Solution. I'm Michelle Dunbar. And I'm Mark Sheeran. And we are the co-authors, along with Stephen Slate, of the Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap. 
and uh, and my book, The Freedom Model for the Family, oh, yes. um, which we don't have here anymore. We moved it. Oh, yeah. it's over there on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, we have a, an interesting topic today. Uh, and we're going to go back in time and and tell you about how we developed uh, coaching for addiction. And we were the first ones to do this. And yeah, yeah. It, it kind of, it's so funny because the, the whole recovery coaching space, right? The whole, it took off. I think it probably took off in Hollywood. I'm just guessing. Um, sober coaches yeah. and stuff like that, which are yeah. basically babysitters. Yeah. Um, it's such a strange thing to me to like hire somebody and pay them a ton of money to like follow you around and basically slap alcohol or drugs out of your hand. I mean, <laughs> is that what that's about? That's not what we do. Yeah. I, I just want to clarify. I, that. I think that actually predated what we do. So, so I want to frame this out so you understand where this is going. So there's a basis and there's a scientific basis for the way we educate in the freedom That's model. Right. And, um, and it started with uh, Michelle's father uh, creating what we called in the day uh, the educational initiative. And um, it was funny because this was way back in the Baldwin house days. That was M Michelle's house. That was the house I was a teenager in. I, I grew up in as a teenager. Yeah. And so I, I was sort of um, subject number one and uh, the first person to move into the research project. Then I became his research assistant. Then Michelle uh, joined the forces and, and the rest is history. Months later. Yep. Yeah. But what was interesting at that time was that Jer had decided to find out what worked, what was the research that showed what worked for substance users and what didn't work? Was there any data? And at that point, what was interesting was there was, there was quite a bit of research done on social educational programs. And, um, but it was sort of hidden. Yeah. It was, it was, it was uh, seen as the bastard child of therapy. Therapy, what, came out of the mental illness model, the mental health model, um, and, and mental illness, mental health hospitals. And so you had these various different things that, that people did, uh, in different ways and rehabs and, uh, mental health wards and detoxes. And mostly what was done was faith healing in Alcoholics Anonymous or 12-step yep, that groups. was like a religious model. Yeah, that was the religious model, the faith healing. Then you had the um, various actual religious models, the Christian models. Mm -hmm. And then you had the, uh, at that time, which was falling out of favor, thank God, was the therapeutic community. Abusive uh, model. Abusive. I mean, it wasn't called that, but it was confrontational therapy. Absolutely. And then it became, and we call that all of these, by the way, we, we all the way back then we studied the term, them all. Yeah. We coined the term control model. Yep. So all of these fall within what we call the control model. And then, and then there was no freedom model at that time. There was no way to allow people to live their lives. That, that didn't, that wasn't even in the ethos. That wasn't even in the belief system that it, it could possibly help you. So Everybody mm. came from the place that you had to coerce, manipulate, and force people to change. And in some cases, like in the in some of the real evil uh, therapeutic communities, they they killed people. I mean, they abused oh, them yeah. to death. 
Um, and a lot of those places like Synanon and, and those went away. They were, they, thank people, God. Yeah. People went to jail and, uh, it was really tragic what was going on, but all of that came out of this, this idea that you had to be confrontational with the, the addict and that came out of, where did that come from? How, how is it possible that you could have a, a confrontational model, get that out of control? Well, that came out of Bill Wilson's and Dr. Silkworth's idea that you had to break people down to build them back up again. That's right. And they called it ego deflation at depth. And, and so what happened was these various steps in the rehabilitation evolution, that industry it started with Bill Wilson's e ego deflation at depth, sort of first century Christian cult. And, um, and then it moved into, it melded with the mental health model for the, the severely mentally ill. And when those two models came together, it created the therapeutic community model at that time. This was in the 60s and 70s where people were dying and, and being killed and, and hurt and abused. And then that model went away. There were there are still some rehabs out there that employ some of these disgusting techniques with people, but it's just abusive. Uh, but it's all centered around ego deflation. We must crush the person's idea that they can that they can do this on their own. Now that that thread has remained to this day, and that yep. is the loss of control model and things like that. Well. Obviously, in our research in the early days, uh, we were trying to make AA work. It couldn't. Yeah, we were struggling. And to, to sort of prove yeah, that but, model true. Well, right. We we wanted to see what worked in it while throwing out the very first step. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the idea that you're powerless. And it turns out that all of the steps beyond that were predicated with that one. And, and so when you throw that out, none of the other stuff even makes sense. That's right. It becomes nonsensical. It literally, mm -hmm. that's a great point. And so, but that took us 12 years to, to figure all that mm -hmm. out. Ironically, one year per step that we had to undo. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so as we were going through this all the way at the beginning though, Jer had this nugget of truth where he looked at social educational programs. And there was some research that New York State had done, the government oasis here, and they found that those were, and other research yeah. that showed that those small little pilot programs worked immeasurably better. better, immeasurably, sometimes five to 10 times better in small groups. And, and that was basically teaching people that they could move on with their lives and educating rather than therapy now. Yeah, rather than manipulating. Right. So here's what's interesting about therapy. When I say therapy, I'm not talking about uh, good therapy, which actually is educating. It is. Okay. It is. When you educate and you provide data and you do it with a non-judgmental basis, what you're doing is you're understanding the other person's autonomy. You're understanding that that other person is a thinking person for themselves and, and you perfectly are, capable. That's right. And you're, you're saying you are personally capable. I'm showing you through this technique that I don't have a dog in the fight to try and make you a, B, C, D or E. And here's what's weird though. Therapy begins to bend away from that and gets into the client patient relationship, or I'm sorry, the, the professional or the therapist patient relationship or the client 
therapist relationship. And once you do that, once you start to label like that, what you're doing and you're separating it and you're making it sort of this artificial, strange relationship, you begin a power play and it's unavoidable. If you've ever been in therapy where you felt less than or you felt judged and you felt very uncomfortable, and we've all been there, or yep. most of us have, um, you're you're understanding what is the control model. You instantly prickle at the person and you go, I don't like this. I don't know what's going on, but I'm very uncomfortable and I'm getting pissed off and you're being condescending. And and you start going down. That's That's the control model because they're manipulating you and what you should be doing. Now there's, there's not everybody has that response because there mm. are points when people will, will, there's another, um, perception of that. If you feel, if you're waiting for this other person to tell you what you should do, what you should like, and you're comforted by that because some people find that oh, comforting, that's right? That's a great point. So th that's still, that's still a hierarchy. That's still a vertical relationship where you are looking to someone else to tell you what to think, what to do, what to like. Um, and, and so you're, you end up being, um, beholden to that person. Like you, you can, your, your whole life is predicated on, you know, I have to run to this person to, to find out what I should do. And so that's not helpful therapy either. So even if you felt very comfortable with a certain therapist, if, if you have to keep going back to them and this becomes a very long-term relationship that is about you going to them, trying to, trying to understand what you should be thinking and what you should be doing, that's not helpful either. Yeah. So, so th this is a good point. So there should be an end date to, there should be a goal that says, we, we complete the therapy at this point with this goal in mind. And if you don't have that, if it's always open-ended, it gets a little bit weird because you don't have a goal. And that starts to dive into the realm of they're, they're taking you for a ride. Yeah. You know? um, and so, so education is different. And here's why. Um, and, and I want to talk specific I, first, first, I have to do something though. I have to explain the difference between therapy for mental illness and therapy for an addiction. Yes. Yes. So, so I, because I don't want to conflate the two because this gets conflated constantly and people don't realize how they're being scammed or hurt by this addiction therapy is sort of a misnomer. It's sort of a n unnecessary, not realistic uh, ideal or thing. And the reason is because there is no therapy for addiction. There is only data. There is data and then educating on the data. What is objectively true about drug effects? What is objectively true about, about your past, your present, what you decide and your beliefs and, and figuring that out figuring out what the truth is, what are the facts, and then applying those facts in your own personal autonomous way. Yes. So the, the, if there is a therapist, they're not really a therapist. They're, they're an educator. And we call them presenters or instructors and coaches, right? And, and so a coach sits on the sidelines. They're not out playing. You know, they're just teaching what here's the data. Here's what you uh, watch. Tape. Here's what, what, what seems works. to work best. And here's what doesn't. 
That's right. So when Jerry, all the way back, before we even delved into the study on Alcoholics Anonymous and whether that worked or not, had figured out something that nobody really had figured out deeply. In the, in, the, in the research he found with the social educational model, it was never taken seriously because it didn't make money. That's right. Because the people got well very fast and people moved on with their lives very quickly. Natural remission would ha- occur quickly. And so these people weren't seen as alcoholics. They weren't real alcoholics. And so it was dismissed. That's right. That's right. Whatever the data didn't seem to fit, fit the narrative of disease, of disease, that the narrative of disease, what does it do? It keeps people tied to a system forever. And for funding. Yes. It ties you to a diagnostic code. So Jerry found these little avenues of research that gave us the beginning of what he called the educational initiative, which was the very first actual coaching model for an addiction, not for mental health. And what the other thing that he found is that therapy for mental illnesses was never effective for uh, an addiction, quote unquote. I'm using the word addiction, substance use problems, right? Choices. And, and so, so we had all this muddled, mixed up therapy to take care of quote unquote, an addiction that wasn't working, still doesn't work, still is highly ineffective because here's why, because there's no disease, there's no disorder, there's no need for a a power hierarchy. If you are truly deeply schizophrenic, for example, you're not going to work well in society and you may need an advocate. You may need somebody running your life. I don't know if that's true or not, but but if it's severe enough, you may need to be in a mental ward and be taken care of that way. That's a different beast than choosing to stick a needle in your arm. Sure is. And and so so and to use the same techniques for one to the other was seen when you dig deep, you find it it it's not effective. And th- these are the things that he delved into in the early days that we've forgotten about. Yeah. frankly, that, that I, I said, oh my God, Michelle, we started the first coaching model yeah. before it was called coaching with the educational initiative. Then we got lost in de- deconstructing AA for 12 years. Then we rebuilt the educational initiative. And it's funny, Jer is now in, in an adult rest home, but he's still very lucid and, and retired and, and assisted living, I guess they call it. Yeah. And we're with him. And I, it just brought back all these memories we're visiting today. And I said, Oh my God, you know, he thought he was, he was 34 years ahead of the curve. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we have all these coaching models now, most of which are bullshit. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, but we were, we had figured out autonomy then. Yeah. Yeah. Because ultimately what coaching should be the goal of whether you're playing a sport and you're getting coached in a sport or life coaches or whatever it is, what coaching is, is to give you information so you can be more effective in your own life. Right. So you can That's take right. that information and, and achieve whatever you're trying to achieve. Like that, a good coach, that's what they do. 
And right. so, yeah, yeah. And so we, we employed that exact technique in our retreats for 30 years. And when we would train at one point, we had 109 employees, right? We had mm -hmm. three retreats and, and it was just wild. It was a wild time. We had 57 guests at any given yeah, point. Yeah. And I, and I, I ran all the training for all of our coaches. We called them instructors and presenters. Um, we always went, we always called them, they were educators, right? And, um, but, but you didn't use coach until recent, until the last several years. Um, but it, it really did make sense because coaching somebody is teaching them. Right. And, um, but it was tough. It's tough. Cause I would take people out of mental health, like the, the, the right. coaches that we hired, they would be either teachers. Um, they would have a, a teaching education background or a mental health background. And and it is very difficult because a truly good coach is one that's absolutely non-judgmental that you would not know their their opinion opinion on what you should do yeah so that that piece right there was was the the golden Ooh. nugget of what your dad did with me and that was i could tell him anything yep and it did not shake him it did not shake him. He was accepting and he it certainly wasn't that way with his own kids. I, God, that, that, no. that, that's the nature of parents, right? <laughs> Parenting is about control for, for a lot. Of I them. sat through many a lecture. I'm yeah. just saying. <laughs> but eventually he, he figured it out with you too. You know, it's harder for He's to, better. Yeah. He has. Um, but, I, but it was that he, he understood the value of education. He was a scientist. He, yeah, he for sure. looked at things and said, and he, he rallied against instructors and said, it should be presenters. We should have no, no, uh, you know, tie to opinion of what somebody should or should not do. And he was very explicit about that. Uh, we were, we were a little looser with the, with the titles, but, but the point is, is that now that we don't have the retreats and we're not doing uh, the presenter, the formal residential thing, it naturally became coaching. I was yes. like, oh, we're coaching. You know, Steve Slate was the first one. He's like, dude, we're doing coaching. It's, it is well, what it is. Well, he had started like he, oh boy, 20, over 20 years ago, he was, he went through life coaching training. Like, and so he was the one who was like, we have, we should coach people. We should coach pe people. And that was when life coaching was kind of a new thing. It was a relatively new thing. So it was like 25 years ago. Yeah. And we were doing it for 10 years. And we had already been doing it, but not really calling it that, not really associating it with that. Right. We were in this laboratory in our retreat, so myopically looking at everything that worked, everything that didn't work. I just did my bio for the website because we're building a new website and for the freedom model. And I was going through all the things we've done and it's, it's an unbelievable body of work. I had, you know, you, you don't, you just don't look back like this. No. And, and it was in our conversations yesterday. I said, Jesus, you know, we invented coaching for the addiction space. So let's talk about that. So let's finish that thought up. So when you deal with uh, quote unquote addiction, the only thing that addiction is, is a straw man. It's misinformation, a group of ideas that are simply factually incorrect. That's what the concept of addiction is. Yes. So there is no therapy to massage through something that doesn't exist. There is only clarification of its non-existence. Now, let me explain that for people that may be new.
When I say non-existence, what I'm saying is addiction is defined as a compelled behavior. When the free model comes along and says, there is no such thing as compelled behavior. Here's the data. And here's your education on the fact that there is no such thing as compelled behavior. Well, then the concept of addiction doesn't exist, folks. Then it's just decision-making, habit, and confusion. So to educate people on confusion has an end date with the truth. Once you accept the truth, then getting over your substance use issues is very easy. It's unbelievably easy. There's no need for recovery. There's nothing to have any therapy about. Now, if you have mental illness or other life problems that you can't get through and you want a therapist, that has nothing to do with addiction. That has nothing to do with a substance use habit. That has nothing to do with a, a, a false, a falsity, um, preference for a drug that, that it has nothing to, that's just life problems. And you might need a therapist or a friend to talk to. I get that. And you might want, as Michelle said, an opinion. Yeah. You might want to be led to some degree on those issues. And you might even pay somebody, a therapist to do that for you Yep, and with you. I never wanted that. No. And I, I, I think a lot of people don't want that ultimately because, because the ultimate goal of any therapy for any problem should be to get you to a point where, where you figured it out. That's right. And you figured out that you're in control of you, that you have control of your mind, any therapy that makes you believe, and there's a lot of bad therapy out there that makes you believe that you cannot control your own mind yeah. is problematic. It, the, I call, I would call that toxic. Um, the, the fact that, that mo met much, all addiction treatment is predicated on this idea that you can't control your own mind. And right, your that own addiction thinking, is real. That addiction yeah. is real and it takes over your brain and your mind. That's toxic. That is setting you up to struggle with every little aspect of your life. Yeah, because they're going to connect it to everything with learned connections, which we cover in the book in spades. Yeah. So, so now, so, so now we've, we've divided, we've split up um, coaching from therapy, right? So you have the coaching model, which is at its best is non-judgmental education, data gathering, and distributing the facts to, uh, the, the student. And, and then that student does, does with it, whatever they want. And you both move in autonomous directions and you discuss it and you debate it and you debate the facts and you figure out how that applies to your life. That's a good yeah, coach. That's, that's what we do coach. in the freedom model. A there, good coach will guide you to help you to internally figure out exactly what's going on, help you figure out what you want, how much you like the stuff you're still doing. I mean, it'll help you to identify. It's a guide. We're kind of, it's a guide, well, right? It's, and, and what we do, yes, it's a guide and it's a guide through the Socratic method, meaning we, the, the, the coach should be asking questions constantly. Yeah. And so that the person understands themselves and answers their own questions. So, so when, when I'm coaching, I'm asking a tremendous amount of questions that are very pointed, you know, why do you do the things you do? Um, do you believe addiction exists? Do you, you know, and I have to understand why do you drink when you drink? Describe to me why you think you like it so much in a hotel room con compared to a bar. I mean, it can be a whole variety of, of topics, but I let the, the student lead 
really, I just ask questions. They lead. Then I ask another question. They lead. I ask another question. They lead. And eventually they start to figure out, oh, I think I do it because of this. Then you, they've self-discovered truth. Then I provide data that either says, well, that's probably not true. The drug can't do that. Or you know what? You're right. You just discovered that you're, you're empowered, that you, you are totally capable, whatever it might be. Right. So, so that's the, the method, non-judgmental, the Socratic method, a lot of questions uh, being asked, a lot of debate. Um, and then of course, a text filled with the data, right? Filled with the facts, because if you don't have the facts, then what the hell are you debating? Right. Right. And right. that gets me to the next topic, which is bad coaching. Yeah. Now we have a whole industry of sober coaches, whatever the hell that means. Recovery coaches. Recovery coaches. Just the fact that it's in recovery tells you you're going down a bad road because there is no such thing as recovery because there's no disease from which to recover from. I, I basically, my, and I don't know this. I don't know this. I'm just guessing that a sober coach or recovery coach is like a paid AA sponsor. I think a lot of them are, some are more fancy. Certainly I know quite a bit about them. Um, and, uh, some of it's that I'd say 90% is that, yeah. You know, you're being, you're paying somebody to, to sort of babysit and they're pseudoscience and they're regurgitating the same things. And they're saying, you need to be accountable yeah. to yourself and call me when you're struggling or at its worst is the sober coach that gets paid to to force you to not drink and drug and literally babysit you. Yeah. That stuff is that gets into the realm of weird. Well, it it one I was sad. I was talking to somebody on the phone yesterday and um she's doing she's getting uh, doing outpatient treatment. And and so I was asking her cuz I I ask a lot of questions. I was like, "So so how is that going? What 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 is happening?" And she's like, "Oh, you know, I get drug tested every week and and I have to kind of check in with this person and, and I'm like, and so when you check in with that person, exactly what are you doing? And she's like, well, we meet for about a half an hour and, and she, she asks me, you know, for how much I, did I drink this week? And, and I'm like, does she give you information or is she just writing in her notebook what you've been doing? And she goes, Basically, she's just writing in my notebook what I, what in her notebook what I've been doing, and it's, you know, she goes, I kind of feel like I'm just checking in, almost like, um, it's like accountability. It's just an accountability thing where you know I I go and just tell her, yeah, I did this and this and this, and I felt like I did it because of this, and then she listens and says, okay, we'll try to do better next week. Yeah, go to an A meeting. Go go to your go meetings. To your meetings. Yeah. yeah. Go to your meetings. Yeah. And, um, and she did say, she goes, I told her I didn't like the meetings and she's like, well, you, that means you have to go. <laughs> oh God. That's, that's <laughs> that so insane. Means, that, that's an indicator that you really need to be there. <laughs> and I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> so, I mean, but that's, that's the extent of addiction therapy. Um, and now it's underlying, you know, like she has another therapist she sees that's all about the underlying causes. Oh, so she's now yeah. got mental health diagnoses, multiple, and is prescribed multiple medications for these other mental health yeah, diagnoses. Yeah, that's the whole Gabor Mate Which nonsense. is kind of mixing in now with the, with the recreational substance use. Yeah. 
you know, and talk about a dangerous road to go down. Yeah. If you connect, if you, if you connect trauma to your use in some causal way, that's just manufactured first of all. And it's devastating because with that belief, you're screwed because you're going to have trauma your whole life at some point. Yeah. And and you can't go back and change the trauma of the past. So if you're like, we see from the data that people solve substance use problems long before they ever solve their other mental health issues, right? By and large. So now that, and that was history. So now it's shifted. So now people believe, well, I have to solve those other mental health issues first right? Or I'm never going to solve my substance use issues. So, and it, so it becomes this spiral. What a good point. This like, it's an, it's infinity. It's infinity. It keeps feeding itself because the more you use substances heavily, there's a pretty good chance you're going to create some new trauma in your life. Right. That's, that's why when I, when I listen to Gabor Mate and his disciples, I want to scream because they have they have literally created the problem. Yeah. What we see today. And and this infantilizing of people, this idea that we are these fragile, trauma-induced, just zombies connected to use and the warm blanket of heroin. And oh, I when I hear it, I'm well, just like, holy shit, man. How Every- many people have we met? How many people have we met now who have actually said you know, I had to, I had to do some inner child work and cause I really didn't know what my trauma was, but I had to find it. Oh, it makes me crazy. I, I, I grew up, I grew up in, in the seventies mm-hmm. and the eighties. Me too. And in, in, in a not very pleasant environment, not a and, loving home. no. And I, but I grew up with friends that had loving homes, but also had violent homes and a whole mix of all kinds of, thank God I had this experience. And I looked around when I turned 18, 19 years old, I knew I didn't want to continue to live that life that way, but I cut the ties and moved forward. And then I met your dad and he's like, of course you, it doesn't matter what happened in your past. You can move forward. Now, anytime you have deep, dramatic trauma. I had some brutal shit happen me to me. Yeah. And you did too. It, it does rear its ugly head at certain points when you have a cue or a reminder yep. and you might react poorly to a set of circumstances that reminds you of the traumatic event. I get all that. Oh yeah. Totally. But you know what you call that? It's called living <laughs> yeah. and you figure it out. You, you go, do. Jesus, why did I just freak out on my wife when she said this certain thing? People aren't dumb. They don't need Gabor Mate to tell them that it is so, sort of this generational giant monster that you have no control over. That shit makes me crazy. Well, and yeah. yeah, if you tie it, if you tie it together, there is no way to escape. You mean you tie it to your use? You tie yeah. your your trauma, you tie all kinds of bad experiences or bad feelings or whatever, you tie it to your substance use, there's no escaping it because at some point everybody feels like shit. I know. I know that it is such a trap. It is such a trap, but boy, does it feed the therapy model. It does. So, so and look at, I don't, I don't want to cast shade on everything. My point is this, that in the addiction, quote unquote, the substance use realm, it's, it's literally figuring out 
that there is no loss of control. Yes. Once you get that, you go, once you really understand that you have always chosen this, then you can ask yourself why, and then you can solve it. And what are the perceived benefits? And when you shift it away from, I do this because of trauma, I do this because of this, I do this because of that, and you look at it for what it really is, which this whole book does, and you have a good coach that that understands the data, you have an end date, you're, and the end date is when you see substance use as no different than any other choice you make in your life That's with it. the same ease by which you make those choices, when you see it that way then you're over the problem. Well, that's it. That's what I want. Cause there's, there's in our group, our, we have a private Facebook group. Okay. And, and in our group, we see two, well, a couple different kind of groups of people. We have the people that have been in the group a long time. They've read the book. And by the way, they answer the questions of the newer members in the group, we can see they, they figured it out. Yep. Right. Yeah. Because it's easy. Yeah, they got it. They got it. Yeah. And then we have a group of people that have been around a long time and they they keep, which is fine. It's a good place to post, you know, I understand everything and I've debunked it all, but I'm still struggling. Well, then you haven't. <laughs> that's it. That's, okay. That's right. that's because it. once that's you right. fully deprogram from all of this erroneous belief system that is by the way, absolutely insidious in our culture and our society. It, you're bombarded with it every day. Okay. So there are things that you don't even know that you believe that is, are still keeping you stuck. That is what coaching is for. That's right. Okay. That's if right. it's still hard for you and you still don't know why you're drinking yourself to oblivion every day, or you're going on these binges of whatever substance you're doing, or you're doing this behavior you would wanted to stop a long time. If you're still doing that, Look at, I needed coaching. He needed coaching. We were those people. So, so we're not judging it. We're just saying it's here for you. That's right. So there's a, there's a class of people and your father is actually one of them. Uh, I'm not one of these I'm who's what's either. called autodidactic, right? Yes. That means they read, they look at data, they understand it and it becomes emotional and they figure out their problems and in, internally on. and move on. Yeah. And they can do that by reading. And looking at data um, and data might be a novel for that matter. It could be anything, but they can, they can read and they can absorb it and it becomes, they Do get it. You know it. what I think? I think, and this is just my theory. Okay. My father has a very, very high IQ. He's super, he was like Mensa guy, right? Super, super smart. I think those people can do it. <laughs> and I think people on the lower end do it very well. I think the people in the middle need the socialization of debate. <laughs> That's us. Yeah. That, and I needed, I needed, I needed, in my case, I'm a systematic thinker. So I needed somebody to debate the big concepts. Yes. I needed the data. I needed to read. I needed to discuss it. I needed to write. Yes. I, 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 hell, the whole. Run experiments. Experiment with it. Yeah. Experiential learning. People learn differently. So if you're one of these people that's wallowing around, even with the freedom model, you don't have to, you just have to get the right style of education to figure it out. I just, I just started classes with somebody um, and he's going to run some experiments. He's going to, we, we laid out a whole plan for him and he goes, man, I, I couldn't have got that. I've read the book. I couldn't have got that from the, of course not. The book is a data set. That's it. It's a data set. We didn't, we didn't create it as a full bore self-help book, 
we said, this is all the data that undoes the treatment and recovery lie. The and sham. the videos that we have in the online program are, are a, they are, they give a little bit more, right? Oh, yeah. They give a little yeah. bit more. They give our perspectives on things. They give you some, some more nuggets of that. You could try this. You could try this, right? But it's still, we're still on video form. Right. It's limited because you don't, you can't sit and interact with somebody. Right. So, so here's the point of, uh, let's bring this all the way around because it's been 36 minutes. So if you're in therapy and they're using a mental health or a confrontational model, or you feel condescended to, or you feel controlled, or you feel manipulated, then, then that those are indicators that you're in the wrong thing. Yep. You know, it, it, this should be a somewhat pleasant experience. It should be a positive experience and it should end each session with a new understanding and then. Uh, and an empowered feeling, a feeling that I get something, I I've, I've learned something that makes logical sense. It passes the common sense test because mm. most things that are true will pass the common sense true. test. Um, and then if you're in coaching and you feel like it's just glorified babysitting and again, like a, an AA sponsor, that's a waste of your time. Get away mm. from that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so it all comes down to the right information, the non, a completely non-judgmental approach, the Scratic method, where they're asking a ton of questions so they can build the puzzle with you. So they understand. So the, so the coach understands your situation and vice versa, right? You're having a two-way conversation and ultimately that there's an end date. And that is in, when it comes to substance use that the choice to use or not is as easy as any other choice you have ever made in your life. That's easily made. Yes. That is the goal. There should be no other goal when it comes to substance use, when it comes to life problems, life coaches. Well, all I can tell you is that when I'm done with the addiction part with somebody, the substance use issue, we do life movements. They start swinging the bat. They usually hit a few home runs within the first few months and they kick ass and you move on. You part ways and you move on. Because when you take care of the primary problem, which is this thing that we've constructed that makes you feel utterly hopeless, powerless, suicidal, and destroyed, you get rid of that. Well, suddenly you have a clean mind from which to swing the bat with. And it becomes pretty easy. That's it. That is it. All right. So we did not talk about this at the beginning like we were supposed to. Um, but if you are new to the Freedom Model and you're like, what the heck are they even talking about? <laughs> um, you might want to click the QR code over there and come to our masterclass. You can enroll. We give a free masterclass every single week. It's one hour next week or most weeks it's on a Wednesday. So when this is going to be released, I think it'll be on the Wednesday that week and then the week after that. Um, and uh, yeah, we we talk all about the freedom model and the differences between the addiction treatment model and the freedom model and, um, and why uh, the freedom model is so effective for so many people. So, so um, that's the masterclass and, uh, and again, the freedommodel.org, you're going to see over the next two months, uh, significant change. Yes. We're re totally revamping the website. It's hot. It's definitely time. And, oh, the freedom model app. 
Oh, yeah. We have an app now for your phone. Um, You can get it at our website, although I'm not sure where it is on there right now, quite <laughs> frankly. But if you go to the freedommodel.org forward slash mobile app, you can download it there. Or you can go right to the uh, Apple and Google stores, Play stores, and get it there as well. Uh, well the Freedom Model. Well, has it been indexed? It's been indexed, but if it hasn't on your on your device, just hit new. Yeah, new if, you, if you search for the freedom model and then hit um new. hit like hit new, um, you should it should be there. All right. So, all right, everybody. Thank you so much. Hey, if you like our podcast, give us five star rating wherever you watch it. Um, and if you want to hear a topic, uh, you want us to talk about something specific, you can email us at info at thefreedommodel.org or give us some feedback. Let us know what you think. All right, everybody. Have a great day. All right, bye. Take care. Are you struggling with a drug or alcohol problem, but you don't want to go to rehab or group meetings? That's why we created the non-12-step Freedom Model Coaching Program in 2011. Through video conferencing on Zoom or Skype, you can work privately with a certified Freedom Model Coach from your home or office on your schedule. And here's the best part. With the Freedom Model, you'll never be labeled an addict or an alcoholic, and we won't tell you to go to 12-step meetings or hamper your life with endless recovery rituals. Instead, you can learn exactly why addiction isn't a disease and how you can solve the problem for good and move on with your life. Do you want to be completely free from your addiction? Do you want to never have to attend meetings, rehabs, or addiction counseling ever again? And do you want to solve your problem from the comfort of home? Then call us at 888-424-2626 to talk with a Freedom Model coach today and experience the Freedom Model difference.